You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, freshly returned from family vacation, looking tanned, fit as a fiddle, rested, relaxed, ready to give his all to this episode. It's Ben Folks, ladies and gentlemen. Ben, how you doing? I think you just summed it up. You got the the leathery old man skin of Hulk Hogan (laughs) going on right now. Thank you. I'm going to interpret that as a compliment. Um, well, here's the thing, man. We, we, we got a lot of, uh, well, I'm not gonna say a lot, but there was a certain amount of chatter on the social media, uh, devices this week. Everybody wanted to know how your ploy worked out with your daughter on the plane and the iPad and the, uh, technology and your bid to win father of the year by putting her in front of a, a digital screen and just letting her go to town. How'd went, that go? It went quite well. Thank you very much. Did it? Yeah. Well, we had a, an assortment of items there. Uh, and I gotta say, she did way better on the flights uh, than I expected. No freakouts. I did not have to be the person who was on a plane with a crying baby. She never really cried. Uh, and even there were like other babies on the plane crying. And I almost wanted to stand up and be like, "Hey, can you shut your kid up? My kid is trying to play quietly over here." Uh, went really well. And actually, the the videos turned out to be a great kind of like last ditch thing, like when you're near the end of a three and a half hour flight and she's not into all the other toys that you've been occupying her with, then you just pull out this iPad, show her some funny cat videos, and boom, you, you kill 10 minutes easy that way. Hmm. So I might have to hit you up for that since my family and I are, are journeying to South Carolina the first week of August, and uh, I did not book the tickets. And it looks like we have the world's worst flights on our hands. So oh, I'm no. going to probably need some uh, some input about what to do besides like a uh, tying my child up and muzzling her for the yeah. duration. You know, the problem I found is that uh, like people gave me all these kind of suggestions on apps and like games and stuff that you could get for the iPad. But my daughter's one. So she doesn't really understand the concept of what a game is, like something with rules and a, a stated objective. Like she just doesn't get that. Uh, and she also gets, though, that, like, sometimes screens are things that you touch to do stuff with, but she doesn't get when that is the case and when it is not. So there's a lot, like, as we're watching cat videos where when she sees something hilarious and she just wants to slap her entire palm on the screen, uh, there's some of that. There's a learning curve that goes on there. But uh, for those of you who thought it wasn't going to work, kind of put it right up in your faces because it worked brilliantly. Uh, speaking of putting it in our faces, uh, coming event podcast listener Brian Mills sent us some wonderful gifts this week. Uh, not only a giant jug of whistle pig, uh, what is it? Straight single rye whiskey. Straight, straight rye whiskey. So, uh, 100% rye, 100 proof. He said, yeah, he, he included in his note, why not celebrate episode 100 with some 100 proof? I like it. Uh, and he also sent us bags of pistachios from his family's California pistachio orchard. What kind of dream world is he living in? Sitting over there with a pistachio orchard and I don't know, but I imagine him bottles of whiskey just wandering the fields in a white linen suit <laughs> and like a wide brimmed <laughs> straw hat. Yeah, man, you know. 
if we have listeners like this, kind of the rest of you who are just sitting here just consuming this stuff and not even sending us anything from your family orchard are kind of looking like freeloaders right now. Exactly. <laughs> Go out there, pick us some oranges or something at least. All right, well, let's get down to business. Uh, just to remind you guys, you have two weeks from tomorrow to get your entry into the uh, co-main event podcast White Elephant Essay Contest in, second annual. There was some belly aching online in the comments over on the, on the website about how people uh, didn't see the point of including uh, outside sources in a, in a narrative essay about their personal experience. Uh, hopefully, I've explained those concerns away, and everyone who wants to contribute still contributes because it's it's really not that big of an imposition. <laughs> so, two more weeks until the deadline for that, and as we have said before, the grand prize winner is going to receive Chris Rennie's wonderful woodcut of Cain Velasquez beating the tar out of uh, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, so you'll want to be part of that for sure. Uh, three rounds, though, as usual for this week's co-main event podcast. In round number one, Matt Brown and Eric Silva headline this Saturday's Fox Sports 1 card from Cincinnati, Ohio. And boy, you gotta squint at this one for a while before any of it starts to make any sense. And in round number two, do these MMA fighters know that you can password protect your phone? You what? It's right there in settings, bro. Oh, right there in settings. And in round number three... What does the World Series of Fighting have in common with an airport? It seems like nobody wants to be there. Everybody's grumpy, and they're all trying to catch flights out as soon as humanly possible. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff plus? Sir Nigel Longstock is on hand. He's going to come in and lead us in a game of Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dan Yoon. He writes, So John Jones fires his social media guy for making homophobic comments. Then soon after, he goes back on Instagram to taunt the fans who criticized him for poking the eyes on purpose. Are you fucking kidding me? You could literally see all of the hardcore fans jumping on the John Jones haters bandwagon. Not literally. You couldn't literally see that, but moving on. You can't really blame this to yet another case of a stolen or hacked phone either. Either John Jones is a complete and utter idiot, or he has executed one of the most brilliant heel turn maneuvers ever discuss. Okay, the, that second, the last point there, that the possibility that he has executed a brilliant heel turn maneuver. I would almost be willing to believe that, except that if you're going to do that, you don't then delete the video, right? right, right. You leave it up there. And it's senseless to try and delete that anyway, because it's you're not going to be able to actually delete that from the internet if you're John Jones. People saw that and have grabbed it, and they're going to be able to to keep looking at it. It's not like you're going to be able to erase all evidence of it. So it seems like either way, wherever whatever you think you're doing with that, wouldn't the best thing to do be to leave it up there? Because it's only when you try and delete it that you admit that you're kind of embarrassed by it, right. or somebody told you to delete it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I actually wrote about this last week. Uh, because it seemed like I was on in, vacation. I didn't in it. the immediate wake of uh, UFC 172 that John Jones was uh, coming out of his shell a little bit with social media posts, kind of letting us know uh, what he was really thinking in kind of an out of character way, which I thought was was super refreshing when it was the uh, uh, he he put the picture of Chuck Liddell up there and basically gave him a you mad bro, you mad, bro? and uh, then he he uh, did that video of him watching Phil Davis getting his ass kicked. 
And uh, then the John Jones just kind of staring at the camera with his oh really fool look on his face. Uh, both of those I thought were awesome. And frankly, the kind of shit that we need to see from John Jones more because, uh, you know, I feel like one of the big problems with John Jones's media uh persona, so to speak, is that even now, like, you know, several years into his title reign, uh, when you watch him conduct himself in interviews, I watched the, uh, the pre-fight interview that he did with Ariel Helwani before UFC 172, like every time he's asked a question, you can see the wheel spinning behind his eyes Yes, where he like, he looks up at the ceiling and then he looks one way and you can see him thinking like, okay, like how am I going to answer we, yeah, this in the most vanilla way possible? Like how am I going to spin this in the least offensive way that I can? And I think that that's one of the things he does that comes off really inauthentic, you know, and kind of fake. So I really liked to see, uh, after UFC 172 that he was doing these like somewhat more off the cuff and a little bit more humorous and like more real, frankly, social media posts. And I thought that that was a good thing for him to do. The one where he made fun of fans and like kind of looked juvenile and a little bit, uh, uh, you know, mean spirited a little bit. I wasn't as crazy about that, but I feel like you hit the nail right on the head. Like the worst thing you do at that point is delete that post because if you're John Jones, the people who hate you, are never going to like you, no matter what you do. Yeah. So the best thing that you could possibly do is just be yourself, man. Like, own who you really are. And if that's who you are, the guy who's going to post those uh, those videos of you kind of like faux crying and making fun of the haters, be that dude, man. Don't not be that guy in like a weird, misguided attempt to like uh, woo big name sponsors. Just like be the dude that you are. And I, I guarantee you that most of us will like you better. Yeah, I, I agree. I also, though, does this make you more or less likely to believe his earlier explanation that a social media company employee, who, by the way, would have to be the worst social media company employee ever if he thought that he was doing his client a favor by going on and, and posting homophobic remarks on some dude's Instagram? A little bit less, yeah. frankly. Uh, and, you know, I thought that that story was weird anyway because it, it – like, A lot of coincidences it, in that story. <laughs> there were an awful lot of coincidences once we got around to the official version that – John Jones's social media account was quote unquote hacked, which I don't even think is the word that you would use nope. if somebody that you were paying to do your social media like went on a crazy rampage and called people fags online, which which and and you know if that's true in my opinion, that's a much bigger story than if John Jones just like uh had one too many soda pops and posted some things on a Swedish teenager's Instagram that he later regretted. To me it's a much bigger story if there's a social media company out there offering its its services to fighters and then somebody who works for them is going on there and posting uh you two are definitely gay yes. uh, and yeah, frankly no, I, mean, I would name the social media company i would say yes. it was this social media company they screwed me director complaints to them and then let's hear what that company has to say if they say yeah sorry we did that we fired the dude responsible I might sue them because frankly <laughs> this caused a lot of damage to my reputation they can't yeah. really be undone because there's assholes who do podcasts who don't believe me that well, this is the real story and it seems to me like the best argument he had in his favor that 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 wasn't him uh, was saying like look why would i like i don't really interact with people on instagram i don't leave comments on people's stuff like people i don't know like why would i break that for this i've had people say way worse stuff to me on social media which is true you know he's had people say absolutely terrible things to him i'm familiar with um, the internet i know what yeah. goes on there and so most of it is terrible and saying like hey why would i do something that could get me fired by nike or some you know some of my other sponsors over this if i didn't react to that other stuff and that's the best 
point he has. Because you do look at that and you're like, yeah, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but then you do something like this and we think, wait a minute. This one we know is you because we can see you in a damn video. Yes. Like, if that's that's when we start to think, well, maybe the argument like, hey, I wouldn't make such a dumb decision via social media starts to crumble a little bit because we see you doing stuff on social media that you obviously regret because you tried to go back and delete it. So then it makes us kind of go back and reevaluate that. No, I agree. That's a good point. And actually, uh, there was a, a funny thing in the uh, Breakfast of Champions that uh, we, that came out this past week. John Jones's is like four point plan to dominate social media. That's right. Involves you got to post a picture of a lion or some shit at the end of everything. <laughs> so people who are not subscribed to, Brex- to the Breakfast of Champions missed out on that. Anyway, moving on. Second question this week comes from Sean Solberg. He writes, shouldn't Brendan Schaub save himself the trouble and just go beat up everyone in a nursing home? Ooh. Yeah, ouch. Ooh. Obviously a reference here to the fact that we think Brendan Schaub is going to fight new returning heavyweight prospect, uh, 35-year-old Andre Arlovsky in his, uh, in his return fight to the UFC. Although, some breaking news just before we came on the air that Junior Dos Santos has broken his hand and is out of his uh, ultimate fighter finale fight against Stipe Miocic. Uh, so I wouldn't be totally flabbergasted if you saw Andre Arlovsky show up in that fight instead uh just because you know as a couple of people pointed out on uh on Twitter this week to us and in a couple of emails to the podcast like uh casual fans know who Andre Arlovsky is some of them in a certain way so he's a guy that you could throw maybe into that fight who would have at least some name recognition that that uh you know could bring some eyeballs to Stipe Miocic and and frankly not a terrible fight as far as I'm concerned like stylistically kind of a kind of a fun little uh boxing fight there you gotta think Brendan Shaw would be bummed about Losing out on that one, though, because before when it was being discussed, hey, maybe Brendan Schaub versus Mark Hunt, my first thought was that seems like a terrible fight for Brendan Schaub uh, because he probably won't be able to take Mark Hunt down very easily, especially now that, that Mark Hunt has gotten a little better at takedown defense and that kind of stuff. You know Mark Hunt can take a shot and give one right back because we've just seen it over and over again. Look at that fight with Bigfoot Silva. And you also know that... Brendan Schaub has been looking a little chinny lately. So yeah, that seemed like a fight where, you know, you're just primed for another Brendan Schaub, you know, face plan into the mat kind of knockout. And then instead he gets Andre Olofsky, a guy who is himself looking kind of chinny lately and doesn't seem to be quite as scary as Mark Hunt is these days. So I don't know if I was Brendan Schaub, I would be really pissed off if they pulled Andre Olofsky out of my fight and then made me fight somebody tougher. I would be too, although when it comes down to injuries and late replacements, uh, we're not just trying to spare Brennan Schaub's feelings over at the Zufa LLC headquarters. I would have to think that that probably is pretty low on the list of considerations at this point. But he's got that podcast thing that they love. Oh, that's right. He is the fighter and fighter and the kid. That's right. And the kid is like a 47-year-old comedian, so... Let's maybe take that that title with a grain of salt. Wow, okay. Uh, next question comes from Adam Marsh. He writes, I feel like Betch Kohea, did I, was that closer? Much closer. Okay. Has set herself up to be in the biggest WMMA fight in history. If she can somehow knock off three of the other four horsemen and get the title fight with Rousey, the storyline would be fantastic. Do you think this could be the best storyline between fighters to date if it pans out? Shit. That's fun to think about. Yeah. I assume he was going Clay Davis. I, with that. It looks like it based Put on how it was written. About 10 eyes in yeah. that word shit. Uh, I mean, let's not get hysterical. It's not the best 
storyline between fighters to date. Uh, but it is pretty good. It is, uh, Betch Kohea, uh, frankly coming up with a kind of brilliant and wonderful idea to insert herself into the Ronda Rousey consciousness in a way that she wasn't there before, no. uh, before, you know, she got this last win, which well, I think is, is great for her. I think she should absolutely do that yeah. and definitely start picking off the four horse women one at a time because well, that's a great move. All she really has to do when you think about it is beat Shayna Baszler uh, because the other, the, you know, you've got uh, Jessamyn Duke, who she beat, uh, Shayna Baszler, Ronda Rousey, and then Marina Shafir, who fights at 145 and is not in the UFC. So that one's not really an issue. If she can get a fight with Shayna Baszler and beat Shayna Baszler, then it's you get to stand in front of the camera with your four fingers held up and, and knock down another another one. And then it looks like, okay, Ronda Rousey has to take that fight to kind of uh, salvage one for the team. It is a really good storyline, and at a time when it probably is not going to take that much right. at women's 135-pound division to – like if you have a little bit of momentum and this storyline that the UFC realizes they can sell you know, without having to just claim that everybody is the biggest challenge ever and the best fight card ever and all this stuff, you know, they can just kind of sell that, that team animosity angle. Man, that – you really put yourself in the spotlight, Betch Correa. I mean, good for you. And right. the fight yeah. to beat Shayna Baszler, it seems like a, a reachable goal for her. I yeah. still don't think she beats Ronda Rousey, but, you know, at least you get there. Yeah, nobody beats Ronda Rousey as far as we know. And, and if you can come into a fight against her with a prepackaged story and some legitimate animosity built up, uh, that's approximately a thousand times better than we thought Betch Cohea was going to do, uh, previous to her win over Jessamine Duke. Yeah, and she can do it all with like hand gestures. Yes. Doesn't even have to speak English to do it. The other thing that I like about it is that you know that pisses Ronda Rousey off. Like, I would have liked to be a fly on the wall to find out what her reaction was when she saw uh, Betch Kohea bend down her finger in the camera because she freaked out and acted like a weirdo against Misha Tate for arguably far lesser disrespect. <laughs> That's true. So at this point, you would think she's probably calling around trying to put a hit out on uh, Betch Kohea. Uh But again... Awesome move by her, I felt. Yeah. And, you know, just a good idea for, like, if you're trying to get yourself on the map there, that's something you can do. And, I mean, hey, a fight with Shayna Baszler after you beat Jasmine Duke, that seems like a just a, a gradual enough step up in competition that, like, I'll be interested in that fight as well. Like, it puts you in a situation where it's you don't even have to you know, see it all the way through to becoming UFC 135-pound champion. Uh, it already just makes us more interested in whatever she does next. The last bit of mail this week comes from Brian Mills. Uh, so I guess at this point, we're just confirming if you send us stuff in the mail, we'll use your question during listener mail. Yeah, well, especially once we find out that, you know, if your family owns an orchard or something, I mean, hey, maybe, who knows, maybe someday we're in town. Mm -hmm. We want to know if we can crash. and you We're know. in the orchard touring mood. That's right. Everywhere we go, we like to tour an orchard. Uh, this one from Brian Mills. Different sport, same result. Pat Barry just got brutally knocked the fuck out yet again in his glory debut. Could this signal the end of combat sports for everyone's favorite heavyweight? More importantly, is this the is his career the best evidence for all the sluggers out there that they need to learn some fucking wrestling? 
Uh, yeah, I, I didn't watch the glory event, but I watched the Pat Berry highlights after it was over and, uh, dig it, knock the fuck out. It was ugly, man. But you know, and, and yes, I think w- that we were all in agreement even before he went over to have a fight in glory that Pat Berry was one of the guys that, uh, just for his future's sake, you would like to, you know, you would like it if he was having some serious considerations about what his future in combat sports was going to be. I was also reminded though, uh, the different rules, you know, the, the difference between the rules in kickboxing and MMA, because, uh, and again, we, you know, the sport's still so new that we don't really have any conclusive, uh, studies about brain injury and all that. But, uh, in the Pat Berry kickboxing fight, he totally gets rocked and then is allowed to just kind of take a knee yeah. for a few seconds collect to thoughts. collect himself and then gets back up and like, you know, 20 seconds after that immediately gets knocked out cold, uh, by an uppercut, which again, just reminded me like, you know, in the, in those stand up only, uh, martial art kickboxing fights, like, that doesn't seem like the best way to go to me to just allow a guy to suffer a brain injury and then, few seconds later he's he's back out there well yeah and it can be even worse in boxing because for one thing you got the shorter rounds and way more of them so it just gives you more opportunities to uh like kind of collect yourself and go back out there and get beat up some more and makes it you know so that you you, the finishes are are not necessarily as quick as they are in mma allows you to hang around take more punishment but in the case of pat barry i mean that was one where it had this thing where when he decided, okay, I'm done with MMA, I'm going to go back to kickboxing and said a lot of stuff like, okay, I realized I was kind of always a kickboxer uh, and now I'm back here and where I belong. And then he goes out there and gets knocked out. And, man, it kind of leaves you feeling like, what is he supposed to do now, right? Because he wasn't a good enough all-around mixed martial artist to, to hang in MMA. Then he goes back to kickboxing, which was obviously his strength when he was an MMA fighter, and he gets knocked out there. I mean, now what? It seems like maybe the end of the road, though. Uh, he's a, a a guy with a recognizable name and a, a, a guy who's a known commodity and a guy who's who's popular with a lot of fans. So you'd guess that people would be willing to continue to book him fights. It's probably just a question of whether or not that's a good thing for him to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's not going away until he gets a, a fight with gets gets the kickbox with Krokop. Another guy who seems to be kind of at the end of the road there. You know that's that's going to happen. Okay, I guess, man. That sounds like one that won't be marked on my calendar, but whatever. I, the thing that it just makes me think about is that the Gary Goodridge story, uh, where if you talk to Gary Goodridge now, he'll tell you that, you know, yeah, he took some, some hard hits and some knockouts in MMA, but where he thinks he really did the damage to himself was in kickboxing. And it was kickboxing where, uh, you know, and obviously it was a, a different time and a kind of different ownership and different promoters, but... Uh, he was saying, you know, hey, he wasn't winning any kickboxing fights, but they were still bringing him back to keep fighting because he guaranteed that somebody was going to get knocked out. And that was a, a a promise that he was trading on for a long time and uh, did him some serious damage. So you hope at least Pat Berry's aware of that. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you can hit us up by going to the website comainevent.com and clicking the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. While you're there, you can go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. Uh, that comes out once a week every Friday morning, sometimes more. I don't know. We haven't totally figured it out yet. It's easy and it's free. It's easy. It's free. It's lots awesome. Of good stuff in there. Uh, as for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Well, Ben, this Saturday night, the U.S. Bank Arena in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Queen City. Sure. Porkopolis. What? It's the nickname of Cincinnati. Stop making stuff up. That's the that's 100% the truth. I spent some time in Cincinnati myself as a, I, as a younger man. Yeah? <laughs> my uh, my stepfather's parents lived there, so I've been to Cincinnati. Really? Because I heard that you were, you were run out of Cincinnati. No yeah. longer welcome in Cincinnati is what I heard. I got involved in a bad pork deal. <laughs> and whew, when they go bad, they go bad. Uh, <laughs> anyway, your main event this weekend is Matt Brown against Eric Silva. Uh, another fight that, that strikes me as a fine fight, but not necessarily a main event. Not that I want to uh, linger on that point too very long in this uh, in this round. But, you know, you've got Matt Brown, who obviously... Uh, has become something of an afterthought in these last few months after he was forced to pull out of uh, the bout that he had scheduled against Carlos Condit last December. Uh, he hurt his back, and then obviously Carlos Condit uh, ended up blowing out his own knee uh, in that fight against Tyron Woodley. Uh, and, and now Woodley is going to... I think Woodley would have us believe uh, that he blew out Carlos Condit's knee. Thank you very much. Sure. Semantics. Whatever. Uh, and, and so it seems like Woodley now is going gonna, is gonna to vault into a into a title shot. But so Matt Brown is back, I think trying to reclaim some of that momentum that he had established with, uh, what was it? Five or six wins in a row in, in the middleweight division, uh, dating back to February, 2012 welterweight division. That's what I said. Welterweight division. Uh, and he goes in there against, uh, Eric Silva, uh, who's a guy who himself had a lot of momentum at one time and was sort of regarded as a, as a big time prospect, uh, but has been kind of up and down pretty much throughout his MMA or UFC career anyway. Um, so uh, it's it's a fight where I think, you know, there are some stakes, some identifiable stakes, but maybe for Matt Brown, the, the stakes are just to kind of try to keep it going. Like this is a fight you don't want to lose. But again, if you win... Hard to know exactly where it leaves you. Yeah, it does make you think, though, about the uh, the wages of uh, untimely injuries in the UFC. Because man, he was really poised to to win one and would have been right there. Like it would, you know, the UFC already likes his fighting style. If he had had gone through that fight against Carlos Condit and beat him, man, then he's right there in line for a title shot. It would be hard to argue against it, and it would be a great story of the guy you know, who lost three straight, seemed like he was almost surely going to be cut, survived that, and then pulled it all back together and makes this great run. And instead, you know, uh, bad timing on an injury, and he ends up here. I mean, yeah, he is the, the main event in uh, uh, a UFC fight card in his 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 uh, stomping grounds there in Ohio. So that's good and everything. And like you said, you know, against Eric Silva, a guy who had a little bit of heat at one time, but it's just nowhere near what that Carlos Condit fight would have been for him. No, and I think one of the things that was most interesting about that original Carlos Condit matchup was that Condit obviously represented such a step up in competition for Matt Brown because I think the thing about Matt Brown is, regardless of the fact that maybe he says some dumb things on his own podcast now and again and has gotten himself in some hot water... Uh, Does he still do that podcast? Because it sounded like maybe he did one episode and it didn't go well. And... That could be. That could be. It. And, and and if that was the decision he made. It's no fighter made, in the kid, let's just say that. <laughs> if that was the decision that he made, you know, more power to him to not do that anymore. But, you know, the, the original point I was trying to make is he seems like a guy who's well-liked. Uh, mostly because of his like a uh, 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 you know all or nothing fighting style, very exciting fighting style, and a guy who who comes off as as a guy who is relatable to people uh, who are not a list 
world-class athletes, which is to say nothing of Matt Brown. The guy's obviously a great athlete, but it just seems like he has sort of a down-home appeal. Uh, the question I think about him that we've always had is just how good is he? Um, you know, because the six fight winning streak that he's on, he beat Mike Pyle, he beat Jordan Meehan, he beat Mike Swick, uh, but we're still kind of waiting around for him to, to vault into that upper echelon of welterweight contenders and beat a guy like Carlos Condit to prove that, that, you know, he's a serious contender. And, uh, Eric Silva, while a tough guy and got a rebound win here pretty recently, uh, is not but in a, a huge mismatch, right? But not necessarily a guy that I would consider to be as an opponent who would launch Matt Brown into that sort of like a list of 170 pounders yeah no it would not like regardless of how he won it it would not be more impressive than his victories over jordan Meehan or uh mike pile i mean those were already just like more meaningful fights it seemed you know but i mean like you said it, it's it's the kind of fight though where if he wins it then you know eric silva is the kind of guy who at least seems like to have the potential to be one of those really exciting dynamic welterweights if you go out there and knock that guy out i mean it does look pretty good for you and at least keeps you in that conversation at top welterweights it's just the thing now is like how does he bridge that gap to get back where everybody is lining up trying to get a shot at the the new champ everybody's trying to be that guy so then what do you do with Matt Brown if he goes out there and you know just knocks Eric Silva back into that win one lose one uh pattern that he's been doing here for a little while well yeah i mean i think that's a valid question clearly the uh the welterweight division is one that that uh, has a lot of guys kind of knocking on the door right now and, and, and was one where, you know, it, a lot of guys were able to sort of grab a new life when George St. Pierre walked away on, on his spiritual vision quest. And so you'd think that at the very least a win, uh, over Eric Silva might get Matt Brown into the sort of, uh, Jake Ellenberger, uh, Hector Lombard, maybe like, uh, uh, you know, Dong Yun Kim kind of a area or maybe who knows, man, maybe you hang around long enough. Maybe Carlos Condit comes back from that knee injury and you can do the damn thing then. A uh, question about that uh, vision quest that GSP is on. Uh, is it necessary to go to nightclubs on your vision quest or is that optional? It's preferred. Okay. I mean, you don't want to just wander around taking peyote and staying up for days on end in the desert. Like, if you can drink a Corona and go to go to the South Beach nightclub so people from TMZ can film you on the sly, that's the kind of vision quest I could get into. <laughs> Far preferable than the than the alternative, I would think. Well, you know what? I just looked at the the odds for this one, and I'm surprised Matt Brown uh, is the underdog. Really? Two to one underdog. In Cincinnati. That's right. I know that this one's not down there in Belo Horizonte. Belo Horizonte? Sure, man, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the odds makers did not take into account the effect of Porkopolis or whatever it is that you think Cincinnati is called. Uh, and uh, are, are maybe thinking that, that Matt Brown uh, is going to get beat by Eric Silva here. Because I would not have guessed that. That surprises me. If I were on hand at, at the... U.S. Bank. I guess you probably couldn't bet on it there, could you? Like, I don't know what the state laws are there. I know a guy. You, you, you got a guy for that? I, I, got, a, I got a guy across I would, the river I would in Covington, Kentucky. consider putting down a small wager on uh, on Matt Brown there. That's, that seems like pretty safe money for, for if you're going to get underdog odds. You know, one of the weird things about this overall card, uh, aside from the fact that there's not a ton going on there, uh, but it kind of, like, when you look at it, doesn't it sort of cement the idea that 
preliminary card main events now are kind of a thing? No. Fuck well, you, no. They shouldn't be a thing, but like if you look at this card, don't you think Ed Herman versus Rafael Natal should be on the main card? And the same probably with Manny Gamburian against Nick Lentz? Like... Those seem like fights that should be on the main card to me when you when you uh when you look at some of the some of the guys that creeped into that Fox Sports 1 uh broadcast it, it seems like one of the, we're trying to make preliminary main events be a thing which I know that you're steadfastly against. I am steadfastly against it. I also wondered uh, about you know you look there's you go down the card you see uh, Eddie Wineland he's down there on the kicking off the the prelim uh the F, the Fox Sports 2 portion of the prelim there. Uh, and you could easily make an argument that he ought to be. I mean, he was just fighting for uh interim title shot pretty recently. So, uh, you know, he should probably be on the main card as well. There is a lot of that. I think I remember when uh, the whole Fox deal was announced and we were kind of wondering, like, okay, exactly how is this stuff kind of going to shake out? And it seems like the Fox Sports 1 cards, I mean, they're just like the, the old Spike TV UFC fight night kind of thing where you get one contender fight basically at the top of the card. And I think you'd have to be kind of generous to call this one a contender fight. Uh, the Matt Brown, Eric Silva one, uh, just because of where Eric Silva is mainly. Uh, but then you go down the card and you just see a lot of guys where you're just not exactly sure what's going on. Maybe they have a Wikipedia page. Maybe they don't. That kind of thing. And it gets to a point where it feels like placement on main card or prelim card is almost just kind of random. Like, I get that they do the thing sometimes where they'll want to put on uh, the first fight as something they think that's going to be exciting and get people who just flip through it to, to stick around. Uh, I, I've credited them for putting flyweights on the main card here with uh, Chris Carriasso and Louis Smokel because, hey, we've been talking about how people are ever going to get into the flyweights if they don't get to see the flyweights. So that kind of stuff is good. But you look at it and you just can't exactly tell a, a rhyme or reason for a lot of these why they ended up where they did on the card. Right. There's also six fights on the on the main card, and that's not going to kick off until 8, 8 p.m. in the evening here in the in the one true time zone. So I so, guess they figure what else are they doing on Fox Sports 1? Yeah, I, but I mean, 10, 10 p.m. start time over on the uh, on the East Coast. So uh going to be some, a late night for, get a, nap for in. a lot of the people. Oh, yeah, get a nap in before this one starts. Maybe uh, uh, while the first two fights on that on the fight pass card are going off maybe you can catch a quick cat nap and wake up for gamburian versus lance you mean the fight pass main event yes we can wake up in time for the fight pass main event what about the fight pass uh co-main event justin salas and ben wall i'm excited for that one too don't get me wrong and then the fight pass nothing anthony lapsley and albert tuminoff that's a curtain jerker just as important <laughs> got time to set the pace for the entire card right yeah there, there you go well that's gonna do it for round number one sir nigel Longsog is here we're going to play Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now. It's that time again. We welcome back to the podcast, friend of the show and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am only getting stronger. In what sense? Well, in the Nietzschean sense, in that I am not yet dead. 
Okay. All right. Hey, I like the positive outlook, though. Uh, those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel has come to read us a bunch of tweets from some people in the MMA sphere. Chad and I are going to try and guess who those tweeters might be. Uh, Sir Nigel, do we have a theme this week? We do, sir. The theme is auspicious beginnings. Ah, okay. Tweets that started out very well. <laughs> and then within the body of the tweet, fall well, apart? Well, you know, there's a beginning and there's a middle and there's an end. Packing a lot into 140 characters, I see. It's true. Well, I'm excited. Uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead and hit us with the first one. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Tweet the first. I need a forklift to put my balls in the Bellator MMA cage, then use the forklift to get the Brazilian out of the cage after I knock him out. So when you're saying that it started off well, this one started off with uh, the forklift to for this person to bring his own balls into the cage. That was what you considered an auspicious beginning? A clean concept. I could understand it and then just right off the rails. <laughs> really? Because it seemed like it kind of stayed with the same rails. How will he get his balls out of the cage once the forklift has been used to move Brazilians? Well, that's a fine point, Chad. I hadn't considered that, had you? I guess you're going to need a crane for that. Yeah. Or just travel with the cage around your balls. It's probably <laughs> safer. Yeah. Well, okay, so we're talking about someone in Bellator who believes that he I has... we know where we're going here. <laughs> Say it. I mean, that's got to be the poet Philip Baroni, does it not? He does have that one-off fight in Bellator coming up, right? Poet Philip Baroni? Yeah, that sounds right. You are both wrong, sir. Oh. It is Joe Warren channeling oh. the poet in re his balls. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we would have thought about it for a little while, Joe Warren would would have been a good guess there, too. He did Not fight. surprised by the content of that tweet, really. Yeah, he did fight in Bellator this past weekend. The Brazilian. And we know he has enormous balls. Yeah, we do know that. Real liability. Don't be a pro fighter if you need power equipment to move your balls around. <laughs> Put your hands on them, Scotty. All right, I guess we're moving on. <clears throat> tweet the second. My one day off all week, and instead of unpacking, we're cleaning the old house. But think we got it done. That deposit is mine. Hmm. Okay. Um, this one, I mean, I can't say that it started off good or bad. Neutral. Yeah. Okay. So somebody who's moving out of the house, pretty sure they're getting that deposit back. And maybe even staking a lot of, a lot of hope on that. Possibly regarding it as income. <laughs> uh, war machine? Oh, come on now. Uh, yeah, I'm still reeling a little bit from that Joe Warren just getting off on the wrong foot yeah. with what I thought was going to be a gimme. That's quite a blow. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go with uh, Rich Franklin here. He seems like a guy who would be concerned about his security deposit, whereas War Machine obviously would not be. But War Machine would need that security deposit way more. Yeah, but we both know wherever War Machine moves out of is going to be just covered in snake poop. <laughs> okay, Sir Nigel. Both fine guesses. Both of you clearly wrong-footed. It is Chris Lieben, the crippler, moving. God damn it. God damn it. Where's he moving? I don't know. Maybe across town. I hope he gets that deposit back. I, that's all I can tell Me you. Too. We all do. Good luck, Chris. Yeah. <clears throat> Tweet the third. My phone wasn't stolen last night while at dinner, and I'm challenge one of the Diaz brothers. Any time, any place, any weight. It's not problem. We know this one. It's not problem. I that's, retweeted it myself. That's your boy Nermi. That's Nermi. That's Habib Nurmagomedov. It is. It is Khabib Nurmagomedov. The eagle. The eagle. 
shrieking through the sky. Not problem. Well, what I mean, that one I thought was pretty uh, it's auspicious all the way out. Yeah, I should say so. It gets more Russian as it goes on. I feel. It does. It does kind of get a little more Russian. It's not problem. Once something is not problem, my guy, we fix for you. <laughs> <clears throat> this is a two-part tweet. Tweet the fourth. An exchange. So you will get, each get two points for this, bringing your total to, well, two. Probably. <laughs> <clears throat> tweet the first. Tweet 4A. I'll go up to 85 and beat, uh, hmm, excuse me. I'll go up to 85 stone and beat his punk ass again. Y'all ain't shit. That can't be 85 stone, can it? That's not. I think 85 stone would be a hell of a lot, right? Not humanly possible. Okay, so I'll go up to 85 S and beat his punk ass again. Y'all ain't shit. In reply, okay, well, I hope you have a great weekend. I'll see you around. <laughs> Wait, so. So who are we, what are we, are we, this is somebody tweeting somebody and then that person replying? Yes, yes. So, and we're trying to guess who? And I'll give you a clue. The first tweeter has seen the person he is talking trash about, but not the person who has replied to him, has seen that man fighting on television and remembers a time when he beat him. Chad, I'm kind of stumped here. This yeah, one seems pretty complicated. I was not prepared for this. I was not prepared for this kind of, uh exchange two point double bill i'm confused i feel lost and hurt yeah yeah what the hell man um war machine and shit i don't know god just tell us just fucking tell us <laughs> both fine guesses both <laughs> informed by fear and desperation it is war machine and joey beltran what the fuck how would we know that joey Never. beltran taking the high road with war machine what the Fuck, man. It's tricky. When he says see you around, that means he'll kill you when he sees you. <laughs> mm. Tweet the fifth. Just for a few reference, don't do that shit again. It obviously didn't go well. I, I thought it was fun. I don't know. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. This message is a warning for all the people that has power over a country, business, people. Take a look and be ready to make some change if needed. Okay, uh, just kind of broad demand for change to countries and people who are in charge of them. Feels like a John Fitch to me. Really? I thought there was a non-native English speaker vibe there. Well, it's Twitter. You can never tell if the guy's just messing around on his phone and, and maybe it comes across that way. I mean, you're right that the sentiment would be right in John Fitch's uh, confused political wheelhouse. Uh, can you read it one more time, Sir Nigel? Yes. This message is a warning for all the people that has power over a country, business. People, take a look and be ready to make some change if need it. Are you saying if need it or if needed? If need it. Well, that kind of derails my John Fitch thing. Ah, uh, boy. Vanderlei Silva? I don't know. Vanderlei Silva. See, that one seems too close to the proper English to be Vanderlei Silva. Sir Nigel? Well, one fine guess, one, again, default scenario. It is Vitor Belfort calling for change if needed. If needed. God damn it. Well, this has been a pretty unsatisfying edition of Master Tweet Theater. So, Nigel, what do you got going on? You know, sir, it's funny you should ask. I've just completed filming a delightful romantic comedy about a couple who meet and agree to come together six months later and form a racially integrated football team. 
And what's it called? An Affair to Remember the Titan. <laughs> and what role do you play? I play Zeus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Chad, real quick, where's your phone right now? Do you know where it is? Yeah, it's in the other room. Because if you, well, then you don't know. What you're saying is that you don't know where your phone is. You think it's in the other room. It was in the other room last time you saw it. For all you know, I have hijacked your phone and sent out a tweet to Chuck Mendenhall uh, from your account saying that, you know, he's a, a, a pussy who wears stupid hats and you're going to beat him up. Well, Guess what? Now you and, you and Mendenhall got a date. You better start training. I guess I better, yeah. But or uh, you can hashtag backpedal like a hashtag. Sorry, ass little bitch. Hashtag what really happened. Hashtag be real. I guess I better do that. I be- guess I better hashtag back backpedal. Well, it seems like no one can really keep a good hold on their social media accounts in MMA these days because the most recent example, we look at Josh Thompson, whose Twitter blows up, uh, challenging Nick Diaz, pointing out that he he knocked his brother's ass out and he will knock Nick Diaz out. Uh, when the UFC comes back to San Jose, uh, then claims that his phone was stolen while he was at dinner. He didn't really send that tweet. Wouldn't ever do something that disrespectful. Uh, Nate Diaz, not buying that. No, he is not. Where's the Nate Diaz tweet well, here? Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz, frankly, uh, kind of seemed to nail a plausible explanation for this. Did he not? <laughs> he nailed one, one possible explanation. Uh, when he tweeted, you got drunk, talked a bunch of stupid shit. When you woke up, you panicked and hashtag backpedaled, hashtag sorry ass little bitch, hashtag what really happened, hashtag be real. Nate Diaz, one of the most, uh, expeditious and effective hashtaggers in the game today. His hashtag game is really, it is tight. It is, it one is might hashtag say, tight. It's hashtag Trump tight. <laughs> one might say that, you know, uh, so the theory from Nate Diaz here is that Josh Thompson is sitting around having a few too many soda pops, as as Chad Dennis would say, gets out his his Twitter and starts talking some shit to Nick Diaz, um, which does seem a little weird, frankly, like it, kind of a strange thing to do since you're not in his weight class. Yeah, and it also seems um, out of out of character for Josh Thompson. Yeah, especially the. Uh, Where's the actual tweet? The actual tweet ends with "Yup, comma, fuck you, Nick Diaz" in all caps. Uh, with the "u," obviously you don't spell out the word "u." You just use the the uppercase "u," uh, it, and it just it just seemed a little little out of character for Josh Thompson. At the same time, though. Uh, we're struck with the same implausibility that we were struck with during the John Jones affair. And with this one, as I brought up at the beginning of the round, like, what kind of phones do these fighters have? Like, are they using the Dana White flip phone still? The Zach Morris, uh, like, cinder block phone that you hold up to the side of your head? Because uh, nobody wants to steal my phone, but you still got to put my thumb on the Apple sensor thing at the bottom of the phone to get my phone to unlock. Wait, what? I got that new iPhone, dude. Man, 
thumb thumbprint sensor. So if anyone wants to get into my phone, they have to cut my hand off, which seems like, frankly, a little bit more than I would bargain for if they want to get in there and find out Ben Folks' phone number. It's worth it to make Chuck Mindenhall want to beat you up, I think. Uh, You know, though, okay, the thing is, if you want me to believe that like, your phone was stolen and somebody here, – here are the things I'm willing to believe. One possibility is the one suggested by Nate Diaz that you, that, uh, you got drunk and talk a, talked a bunch of stupid shit and then panicked. And then after that had to hashtag backpedal. That's one possibility. Uh, another possibility is that one of your, your buddies was fucking with you. Well, it would have to be, right? Because who else would yeah. do that? What, what, what stranger is going to steal your phone and either, like, they realize that they're stealing the phone of a pro fighter, which, risky to begin <laughs> yeah. with. Okay, yes. uh, Or they just think that they're stealing a phone, then they open it up and somehow realize, like, oh, shit, this is Josh Thompson's phone. I happen to also, in addition to being a cell phone thief, be a pretty knowledgeable MMA fan. So what do I do? All right, let's get on here and talk some shit to Nick Diaz. That'll be fun. Right. Uh it's, it brings up the same point that I talked about when we talked about the John Jones hacking incident, and that is if you are a phone thief with enough MMA knowledge to know who Josh Thompson is and to know that he should call out Nick Diaz, uh, wouldn't you be more interested in, in wreaking some kind of uh, additional havoc other than just like putting a funny call out tweet on Twitter like – Josh Thompson's phone probably has Kane Velasquez's phone number in it. You know, probably got Daniel Cormier's phone number in there. Like, if you're an MMA fan who knows who Josh Thompson and Nick Diaz is, maybe set the bar a little higher yes. in terms of the mayhem you're trying to create. That's we. You're saying that MMA deserves a better class of social media hacker. Yes. Yeah, a more ambitious class of social media hacker. Yes, yeah, slightly more ambitious. Like, don't just go on there and call a, a Swedish teenager a fag. You know, like. <laughs> Uh, don't go all caps, fuck you, Nick Diaz. Order a bunch of pizzas for Cain Velasquez. How about that? <laughs> oh, man, I feel like Cain Velasquez would actually probably be pretty into that. Yeah, the joke might be on you yeah. if you ordered a bunch of pizza. I mean, order a bunch of pizzas for DC since he's trying to make weight. Oh, Boom, there, there you, you go. go. Yeah, well, and you know, it just makes you wonder, though, okay, like, it's say, like, one of his, his buddies did think, like, all right, let's mess with Josh and maybe not totally realize... Uh, the the potential fallout or something like that that uh, then Josh would have to get on there and do some some damage control. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that seems like I could see that happening, kind of thing. It also just makes me wonder if we're moving into like this era that was kind of inevitable, where for a while now we've been using Twitter as just like a breaking news thing and we we it's the basis for a lot of news stories some guy says something on twitter somebody else responds on twitter boom there you have it all the mma sites are going to do a post about that and now we've introduced this thing where everybody as soon as they're unhappy with something and the way it's playing out oh that was hacked or my phone was stolen or something uh it's just getting tiresome man yeah and you have to wonder like how long can that excuse persist you know what i mean it's obviously not playing out a hundred percent uh like reliable already right and and you know we we had john jones use it and and a lot of people didn't believe him uh and now you've got josh thompson coming out and and saying it as well uh you'd think that the the third guy who comes out with the somebody stole my phone excuse is really going to get hammered. Uh, although i don't know man maybe this is the magic bullet maybe this is just the uh like it's the last page in the MMA PR manual that just says 
when you get totally fucked, just say someone stole your phone. It's it's the ultimate excuse that no one can either prove or or disprove, and uh, it's just going to be a cure all from here on out. Yeah, but then you have to go through, don't you? The uh, like at least the the window dressing of going to buy a new phone, and then you got to get on Twitter and make a big show of like, hey, everybody, I lost my phone, so send me your your email. I mean, it depends, man. I like it seemed like. Uh, the media just sort of let the John Jones thing drop after he came out with the, the excuse that, uh, the, that a social media company did it, which to me only made me more interested to find yeah. out what the well, actual story was. And we were knows? just talking about it, so I don't know if we did let it drop. Yeah. Uh, and now the Josh Thompson thing, are, are we really going to go balls to the wall to try to fact check this? And are we going to get Detective Jake Shields? Uh, involved from the Tommy Toehold show to try to figure out who stole Josh Thompson's phone, or is it just going to be a thing where a bunch of people are like, eh, we don't know that we really believe you, but we're, we're, we don't care enough about this to try to get to the truth. Well, personally, I just hope that at the very least, at the next uh, Zufa Fighter Summit in Las Vegas, there is a seminar about password protecting your phone. I mean, that seems like the least we can do here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's frankly wholly unbelievable that these that any of these guys have phones that aren't password protected. Although MMA is one of the main industries in the world where guys don't set up their voicemails, so maybe it is believable. I I, I don't know. I swear, if I if I didn't have to call pro fighters as part of my job, I wouldn't even know how many people never bother to set up a voicemail box or don't bother to like delete the voice. Like how many right. times you called this some fighter? Voicemail is full. Yeah, how do you go through life like that? Come on. Uh, all right. Well, let's before we wrap this up, let's talk briefly about this. Assuming Josh Thompson did write this this tweet, which again we don't know. Like, uh, what do you think is is going on in his mind? Because you know he's uh, he had a, a big run up to the Benson Henderson fight and seemed like he was knocking on the door of a of a lightweight title shot, and then uh, kind of got. Uh, uh, seemed like he was contemplating retirement after that loss. Now allegedly comes out of the box with this Nick Diaz call out against a guy who's pretty much said he's not going to come back unless he gets a shot at the welterweight title. And Again, is also in a different weight not, class. Not even a guy in your weight class. Like, if this was the work of Josh Thompson, it's kind of uh, indecipherable, isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess maybe we're re we've reached that point where it's safe to call out Nick Diaz, uh, no matter who you are, because... For one thing, it'll make some news. It'll get people to pay attention to you. Uh, but then there's probably not a threat, like a realistic threat, that you'll actually have to fight Nick Diaz at the end of all that. Uh, so, but then the problem would be, you know, if the goal there is increased visibility to get people talking about you, then you wouldn't really quickly distance yourself from it and claim that you never did it in the first place. You'd want to stick with that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. That that one is kind of tough to, to figure, but... If I'm Josh Thompson right now, I, I would not be surprised if you told me that Josh Thompson was angling to get on that San Jose fight card and, and looking for a dance partner. I just don't know if uh, Nick Diaz is the guy you want to call out. Maybe because there's nobody in lightweight. Uh, you know, it's like uh, if you're featherweight, right, you call out Conor McGregor. That's a given. Uh, or call him McGoober if you prefer. Uh, or, you know, if you're a middleweight, you call out Michael Bisping. What do you do if you're somewhere in the middle there? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a vexing question. Uh, the other thing that we would have to bring up is that whoever stole Josh Thompson's phone knows the exact date of the San Jose UFC show, July 26th. So maybe they did a little bit more research than we're giving them credit for. You yeah. Know? Maybe they maybe they did pull out all the stops. Again, this. though, if that was part of, you know, a, a really 
well thought out operation and the end game was getting on there and and talking shit to nick diaz you really gotta reach higher hacker come on all right well let's do are you fucking kidding me and then we will move on to round number three uh ben this week my are you fucking kidding me uh, has to go go out to the the ongoing soap opera involving Tiago Silva, which at this point is really reaching what's really going on territory. As uh, reports surfaced this week that Tiago Silva, who I'm sure we all remember, had been arrested back in February for multiple charges uh, after a, a, an ugly incident involving uh, his estranged wife or his ex-wife and allegations that he went to a jujitsu school and pointed a gun at people, allegations that he put the gun in his wife's mouth. Uh, well, now he's out on bail and uh, has returned to teaching kickboxing classes for the Black Zillions down in Florida uh, while wearing while wearing his uh, his ankle bracelet for uh, that he has to use to check in with his PO, which frankly gets an are you fucking kidding me from from me right there, because that seems dangerous. Yeah, I don't want to get kicked in the head. Well, I don't want to get kicked in the head by Tiago Silva. I don't want to get kicked in the head by someone wearing an ankle bracelet that could take take a guy's ear off. That could. Uh, also, it seems like a lot of some, at least some of the stuff that we had heard about this story originally turns out not to be true. The attempted murder charge against Tiago Silva, I think, has been dropped because it turns out that maybe he didn't really point a gun at Pablo Popovich, the guy who owns the uh, jujitsu school martial arts academy that he went to. Uh, and his estranged wife has withdrawn uh, her restraining order against Tiago Silva. So uh, are you fucking kidding me, people? What's really going on? What's really going on? Just indeed. went back to back there yeah. with. Uh, Is it possible that this was all uh, that maybe Tiago Silva didn't do anything at all? Somebody stole his phone. Somebody stole his car and his gun. Yeah, and his phone. Right. I don't know, man. It it's happens. possible. That's why you got to passport protect your gun. Well, Chad, this week my "Are you fucking kidding me?" goes out to one Michael Bisbing, uh, who, when talking about his recent loss to Tim Kennedy, issued forth with this quote. It was more disappointing for me because it was a boring fight. I'm not used to hearing the crowds boo. I don't like that. People part with their hard-earned money to be entertained, and it wasn't an entertaining fight. I get it. It's mixed martial arts, and Tim had a game plan. He's obviously allowed to go for takedowns and allowed to try and control me on the floor, but it was a little extreme, if I'm being honest. Two things here. Uh, first of all, it was a little extreme, him controlling you on the floor, by which I guess you mean getting full mount and side control and just kind of dominating you in the grappling department. Are you fucking kidding me? That's not some dude just laying up in your guard and pinning you down. Uh, also, I'm not used to hearing the crowds boo. Michael, come on, dog. Come on. If there's anybody who's used to hearing the crowds boo, uh, you know, if not during the fight, then at least at the weigh-in and every time you're before a crowd leading up to the fight, it's Michael Bisping. You fucking kidding me with that? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be back momentarily with round number three. Well, Ben, maybe it's been a frustrating couple of months for World Series of Fighting. Uh, they lost Anthony Johnson and Andre Arlovsky to UFC returns. Uh, they they publicly beefed with with Josh Berkman when he went on Twitter uh, and I believe asked for his release. 
And now, most recently, they've lost uh, welterweight champion Rusmar Paul Harris from a scheduled title defense against John Fitch for the company show on July 5th and have had to replace Paul Harris with Jake Shields, uh, which is not a terrible fight, John Fitch against Jake Shields, but obviously not for the title and and not with the kind of uh, uh, weird, compelling uh, watchability that that. Paul Harris had suddenly established for himself when he went out there and, and took the title off Steve Carl in 69 seconds. Uh, y- you know, maybe we can get into what this means for World Series of Fighting a little bit later in the round. Uh, but first, let's just talk about the loss of this fight. Uh, were you excited for Paul Harris versus Fitch? And do you feel somewhat uh, less excited, I guess, for Fitch versus Jake Shields? Yeah, you know, Paul Harris versus uh, Fitch, that seemed like an interesting fight there. I agree, yeah. And, and uh, it's, you know, John Fitch versus Jake Shields seems like the kind of fight that is just begging every motherfucker with a Twitter account to make some kind of sleeping pill joke uh, about, how, you know, that they're two boring fighters going to go and be boring together. I mean, that's going to be the, the easy... Uh, line of reasoning for all MMA fans who know those guys well enough to, to know anything about them. So I can see how you'd be bummed if your World Series of Fighting at, at losing Paul Harris and having to replace it with that. At the same time, though, I mean, hey, Paul Harris got to go take care of his mama, man. Yes, he does. She got the thrombosis. She got thrombosis from having, what, 13 children? I don't know if it's from having 13 oh. children, but she had 13 children and has thrombosis from what we're told. So you're telling me that there is a dozen other Rusmar Paul Harris is running around out, out there. Well, I think both the, male and female, probably. The, the lesson here is clear. If you have 13 children, uh, and, you know, they all have to battle it out growing up, w- at least one of them is going to be a badass. At least one. Yeah, I would like to know where. So get to work, is R- what I'm Rusmar saying. Rusmar Paul Harris falls in the, uh, in the age group there. Maybe he was the young one, and maybe he he grew up having to heel hook his twelve older brothers and sisters every day of his life. Yeah, just to so get a spot know. at the trough. The thing about Paul Harris is, and I think we talked about this the last time on the podcast after he beat Steve Carl, uh, was that I felt like he had established for himself this weird kind of celebrity inside mixed martial arts, and that he had had in a kind of a stealthy and offbeat way become a com- a pretty compelling draw for World Series of Fighting because we wanted to watch him to see what kind of crazy shit he was going to do. Exactly. Like, he's a dude that you want to watch to see if he's going to tear Steve Carl's leg off uh, and, and you know, just remorselessly walk across the cage with it while Eve Levine stands there impotently waving his hand, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and while John Fitch versus Jake Shields is obviously a fight between two guys who are very highly regarded in the weight class, doesn't have that same feel. No. Nobody wants to watch Jake Shields and John Fitch to see what they're going to do, right? That's true. Because we know. We know what they're going to do. Yeah, or, you know, we think we do. But, yeah, you're right. And, obviously, it's not the kind of uh, celebrity, if that's even the word, that Huzma Balharas was aiming for. But it does create a kind of thing where you're going to want to watch it because every you know – that it's either going to be, you know, he's going to heel hook somebody, and then if he does, then we're all going to dissect the exact moment of the tap out to figure out if he lets go in time uh, to decide whether there's a controversy worth us getting all pissed off about over. Or, you know, if he loses, then we talk about, you know, the, the failure of him to heel hook somebody. So there's something going on there either way. Uh, where I think, though, the thing gets interesting is when he pulls out of that fight saying that he's got to go take care of his mama, then uh, the, the World Series of Fighting matchmaker kind of freaks out a little bit and complains about uh, how he's supposed to have the number one organization in the world if everybody's turning down fights. 
Well, yeah, that is weird because that's, as far as I know, the first time I have heard anyone from World Series of Fighting put voice to the idea that the company aspires to be the number one MMA promotion in the world. Previous to this, you know, we had thought that World Series of Fighting, uh, and maybe this was just everyone else kind of heaping their uh, their own interpretation on World Series of Fighting, but it, it seemed kind of clear to outsiders, at least, that World Series of Fighting was taking care to maintain a good relationship with the UFC and to not get on the bad side of, of Dana White, uh, possibly because that happened to Bellator and then the UFC uh, president kind of went scorched earth on Bjorn Rebney and, and his promotion, as is Dana White's uh, practice. Uh, but it, it seemed like the World Series of Fighting was kind of content to be the the uh, a smaller organization that had a good relationship with the UFC and that that fed the UFC its top talent when when guys like Anthony Johnson and Andre Arlovsky uh, proved themselves octagon worthy that they would then kind of transition back to the UFC and in fact uh, during the Ben Askren uh, debacle when Dana White said he needed to go someplace else to get some fights to prove himself, he suggested that he go to World Series of Fighting. Interesting. So, so there was always this perception that World Series of Fighting was, uh, uh, you know, kind of a kid brother organization for the UFC. And I think if that is, uh, is your aspiration, then you're always going to be in a situation where your top talent is going to leave to go to the UFC. And you're always going to be in a situation where fighters view your organization as a bus stop well, and that, more of a hotel than a home. You know, right. they're just there to get a couple nights sleep and then uh, go on back to the octagon where they feel like they deserve to be. Well, and that's the interesting thing about this is uh, when uh, Ali uh, Abdulaziz is, is kind of, explaining his his take on it and he's saying like you know i'm not just going to release guys to go fight in the ufc you know because they if they don't want to take hard fights here uh and his reasoning he, he keeps talking about andre Arlovsky and anthony johnson saying hey those are guys who did what i needed them to do and uh were team players for the organization and then when anthony johnson asked me not to match his contract so he can go to the ufc you know i i'm i'm not going to say no to him you know he's, he's earned this kind of thing so it's like you're setting up this like you're kind of admitting that the best thing that can happen for a world series of fighting guy is that, you know, he, he plays along, does everything you ask him to do. And then eventually gets the call from the UFC and is on good enough terms that, uh, you let him go with, with good wishes, uh, for, for his continued success in the UFC. And so it's hard to say that, you know, you're, you can't have it both ways. You can't be trying to be the number one organization in the world. If you acknowledge that the, the best case scenario for your fighters is that they get to leave. You know, that seems like a weird thing. And you can't really blame guys who might be on the roster who are thinking that way of thinking like, okay, my, my goal in the world series of fighting is to get out of the world series of fighting and back into the UFC. It creates a weird kind of dynamic. Yeah, it does. And, uh, let's be clear here. I kind of feel words, world series of fighting's pain here because I bet it is super annoying, especially when your welterweight champion pulls out of, of a fight that had shaped up as maybe the biggest fight that your promotion had put on, uh, so far to date. And, yeah, and, and then the best division you got going. Yeah. And, and it's probably always going to be a situation where you're struggling for leverage over your fighters, many of whom, like you said, do have this idea that they're going to come to world series of fighting and get a 
couple of wins and then go back to the UFC, uh, which probably leads guys to think that they don't want to fight people that they, they feel like they might lose to, you know, because that's the worst thing that can happen to you. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, I, I do feel like you're right. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know how realistic it is for anyone to think that anyone besides the UFC can be the top MMA promotion in the world, but it's a weird catch 22 for these mid major uh, promotions like world series of fighting. And in some cases like Bellator, uh, just because yeah, you either have to establish yourself as a competitor to the UFC and that you want to be the best in the world. And, and uh, you know, you want to cultivate all this talent and keep it around, or you kind of have to make peace with the idea that uh, you're going to be a glorified feeder organization for lack of a better term. And that, you know, maybe to make it easier on yourself and everybody, you better try to maintain a, a quality relationship uh, with the, with the biggest MMA promotion in the world, which if it don't like you has no, uh, qualms with totally burying your ass. Well, the thing I wonder is if you didn't just shoot yourself in the foot by kind of going public with this complaint, if you're World Series of Fighting, because, you know, if you if you deal with this stuff internally, like say you have this problem of you keep offering these guys fights and they're saying, no, I don't know, that one seems too tough for me, I might lose that one and I'm trying to get this winning streak together so I can get back in the UFC. If you deal with that stuff in-house and we never really know about it, uh, then, you know, it seems like you can put enough internal pressure on those guys because if you have your contract structured similar to the way the UFC does it where if you turn down a fight they can extend your contract you know then they they can they can you know kind of put you back on the shelf keep you from really making any money without being in breach of contract and that seems what he was threatening to do is that he was going to put people on the shelf for a long time and i've heard you know UFC managers say if we turn down a fight that's offered to us uh then the UFC can extend the terms of the contract for another 6 months and that could be 6 months that you're just sitting around not making any money so it seems like you can use that as a, a thing to pressure guys into to fight so you don't have a problem of nobody wanting to fight each other. When you go public with it, that's when everybody else sees from the outside, oh, wait a minute, so the guys in the World Series of Fighting don't want to fight each other, huh? They all just want to get out of there and go to the UFC. I mean, doesn't that make you look worse than pretty much anything? Yeah, it, well, I think it's it's a twofold issue. I think it 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 makes sense and it makes the fighters look like they don't want to fight each other, which I think is is a, a negative in the eyes of the public. And uh if you're a fighter and you hear the World Series of Fighting vice president and matchmaker saying that on the MMA Fortnite, I don't know that that's a place you want to go. Um, you might think twice about signing with them. You might, you know, uh, you might gamble that you could do just as well going to Legacy FC or Titan FC or some FC that's going to put you on Access TV or Slope or, FC starting yeah. in my backyard this summer. <laughs> or you go over to Bellator. I mean, like, uh, I don't know that I would want to go sign with a promotion that seemed like it was going to hang both my and its dirty laundry out uh, at, at its earliest convenience. But then he's not really hanging it out there because he didn't really name anybody. I mean, he said, you know, he was somewhat frustrated with the Balhara situation, but, you know, he even said, like, oh, they've got, got these guys. I'm not going to put them on blast, but they keep turning down hard fights. I mean, then it seems like you're it's the worst of all worlds, at least when the UFC does that, and they will do it from time to time. You're like, hey, you know, I don't know what this guy, he won't take this fight. I think he's scared, of the, you know, and they'll air your business out there and really put the pressure on one guy to take a fight this didn't even do that it just told us that guys in world series of fighting are hoping to get out of there and get to the ufc uh that that they're turning down fights it didn't tell us who exactly so it's not like you're even 
putting that that fan or media pressure on anybody in particular. You're just kind of voicing this blanket complaint, uh, which I think also has the the potential to to backfire on the way that then guys you didn't even mean it about might take it personally and and might get upset with you. I mean, it just seems like it has so many more negatives than positives when you go to to airing your dirty laundry like that. Yeah, plus, I don't know if it's anything that we didn't already know or couldn't already assume just right. from the outside looking in. Well, and I mean, can you really blame too many people from World Series of Fighting if that's what they were thinking? I mean, because it seems no, like... No, that's what they're all thinking. Yeah, every single one of them is thinking and we've that. Seen and every single it, guy in Bellator is thinking the same thing. <laughs> we've seen it in practice. We've seen that it actually can work that way. So, of course, like you've told the, them with your actions that this is how it can work, that you can get out of here... Uh, you know, use this as a, like a launching pad for another run in the UFC or maybe even a first run in the UFC. Uh, and, you know, this can, that's the way that this can serve your career. And then when people are looking at it that way, it's hard to really get mad at them when, you know, you've already set that standard for them. All right. Well, let's do just saying stuff and then uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad, my just saying stuff, uh, here is, uh, Bellator CEO Bjorn Rebney, his quote on, uh, why, you know, they're doing a Tito Ortiz, Alexander Slomenko fight on the pay-per-view. A lot of people have wondered about that one, uh, because for one thing, they're not really in the same weight class. And also Tito Ortiz seems like kind of ought to be at the end of his run and he's got a pile of trash neck. So who even knows if he'll make it? Here's Bjorn Rebney's justification for this fight. So it's just a weird, funky, freaky kind of Cirque du Soleil-esque type of fight. Now, I'm just saying, I don't know what Bjorn Remney thinks goes on at Cirque du Soleil, uh, but he should really check out the show uh, if, if he thinks that it's anything even resembling Tito Ortiz versus Alexander Slomenko. Because if he's right, if this is going to be a Cirque du Soleil-esque type of fight, well then goddammit, I guess I got to see that because that would be some weird, funky, freaky shit indeed. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, this week, I'm just saying, man, I know you saw this report that a promotion called Battlegrounds MMA is planning a one night eight man tournament for June 27th that includes such luminaries as former UFC fighter Dennis Hallman, Cody McKenzie, Luigi Foravanti and David Mitchell. And I'm just saying, where the fuck do I sign up? Because I will watch the shit out of that. Put that on television. Put it on the internet. In fact, here's my idea. Okay. Idea for Fight Pass. All tournaments, all the time. God knows you got enough dudes now in the UFC, right? And you're doing most of these Fight Pass shows overseas anyway. Maybe every show is a one-night, eight-man tournament. What do you think? You know, what I think is I just want to know, you telling me you're going to get Dennis Hallman and Cody McKenzie uh, in the same tournament. One of those guys showed up to a UFC fight in a Speedo. Another one showed up in a pair of shorts he clearly just got at the sporting goods store and then wrote the Alaskan area code on uh, right before he went out to fight. I'm just saying I'll tune into that one just to see what the hell they wear to the goddamn thing. It's going to be worth it just for the wardrobes. I'm just saying, Battlegrounds MMA, you figure out a way for me to watch that, and I will watch it. You already have my money. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at this weird uh, UFC Cincinnati card, and then to look ahead to Bellator 120. As for this week, though... That's it. We're done. We're through. We are out. You know what that tournament sounds like to me? It sounds like just a weird, funky, freaky, Cirque du Soleil-esque type of tournament. Well, I think anytime you got the likes of Dennis Hallman and, and Cody McKenzie showing up, you're going to get into a really-